All right. Well, we're in a little mini-series. We took a break from Romans for a couple weeks, and we're uh, in this little mini-series on prayer. And today we want to talk a little bit about why prayer. We've looked at what to pray, how to pray. And um, there's a a little journal back there that you can pray uh, for our country and for the different needs around the world, actually. Um, There's a little journal on on the back table there if you didn't get one yet. But this morning, I just want us to uh, focus our hearts and our minds. Uh, You can turn to uh, John 15, actually. Um, And we'll be starting uh, there this morning and kind of jumping around a little bit. Uh, The one thing that I want us to uh, think about is if the Lord was going to be here at... Three o'clock this afternoon, right here at the church, physically, if he was going to be here. And he was going to be here to meet you. And you had 20 minutes with him. That's it, just 20 minutes. What would you ask him? What would your request be? You know, some of us may say, well, I'd ask for protection. Or I'd ask for forgiveness. Or I'd ask maybe for a new job. Maybe for some more money. Maybe for a car or a home. Or the salvation of a loved one. Well, last week we looked at, in Luke 11, when the disciples had just that opportunity. They could ask him something. And they made one request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, I mean, of all the things they could have asked for, you stop and say, wow, that's pretty incredible. They asked that one thing. And I think probably it's because they looked at the life of Christ and they said, there's something different about this guy. There's something about this time of prayer when he goes away from us and he prays. Something happens. Because they saw him when he prayed, and they saw the results of his prayers. Um, Now, the disciples also saw the Lord probably preach uh, some of the most incredible sermons that were ever to be preached. Would you agree? I mean, this is the Son of God preaching, right? So, if there's anyone you want to hear preach, it would be him. He's perfect. His sermons weren't too long. (laughs) But they weren't too short either. So it's kind of important that we focus on how he answered that question. And we did a little bit about, about that last week. But I think it's interesting that they watched him as he taught. They watched him perform miracles. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him raise the dead, heal lepers, give people back their sight. He did all kinds of incredible things in their presence. But you don't find the disciples going to Jesus saying, Lord, teach us how to preach. (laughs) Give us a homiletic class here. Uh, Teach us how to do all these miracles. We want to raise the dead. Teach us how to raise the dead. 
Instead, they focused on one thing. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And I think all of us would agree that we all need a lesson in prayer. We all need, and we can all grow in our prayer lives. And I think the reason they asked Christ that was they saw that prayer was really the life support system in the life of Christ. They recognized that this was really the key to his life to some degree. And you know what? When you stop and think about it, last week we talked about studying the word and prayer as key pillars in any Christian's life. And I think, unfortunately, the average Christian today in the church probably knows more about Twitter and Facebook than they do about prayer. It's kind of silly, but that's the age we live in. And there's a lot of misconceptions about prayer. There's a lot of ignorance about prayer in the church today. And hopefully we can clear a little bit about that up today. I mean, some people look at prayer kind of as a um, magic wand. You know, it's just, you just kind of say the words and it's kind of this superstitious approach to prayer. And then you get what you want. It's kind of God in the, the, the bottle kind of a thing, like a genie in the bottle. He comes out and my wish is your command, whatever you want. Some people think of prayer, you might say, as a first aid kit. They pull it out in a time of need, act of desperation maybe. Kind of like the sign that's by a fire extinguisher, use only in emergency. That's how some people view prayer. You know, it's a last resort. When everything else falls apart, then you finally realize, wow, maybe I should go to the Lord in prayer. Remember hearing a story of a, a deacon and pastor were having a meeting one day. They were discussing a situation in the church. And the pastor said, well, you know what, brother? I guess all we can do is pray. And the deacon looked at him and said, it's come to that. That's kind of how we view prayer sometimes, beloved. Sometimes prayer is the last thing that we look to. You do everything you can, and then if it doesn't work out, then you pray. For some people, prayer is not only a magic wand or a first aid kit, but it's kind of like that old game, Tug of War. Remember that game? It's a religious con game. You play with God when you try to convince him to do something nice for you. Some people really have this idea when it comes to prayer. The idea that you have to beg and plead God and that God is some cold-hearted monarch sitting millions and millions and millions of miles wherever he's sitting and you have to urge and you have to beg and you have to plead with him and you have to convince him that he ought to do something good for you. It's kind of like a sales pitch. If you just keep it up, keep pestering him long enough, finally God gets so irritated, he says, okay, I'll give it to you. Have it your way. And he gives in. It's kind of like God is finally giving in to what you want. And if you pray hard enough, eventually he just kind of reluctantly gives it to you. Well, Jesus told a parable to illustrate the exact opposite of that. But I think the worst The worst idea, the worst misconception when it comes to prayer for the Christian 
is that somehow prayer is relegated to some religious duty. It's something we do. And usually the motivating factor behind our prayer is guilt. I know I should pray often. I know I should pray more often. I, I ought to pray. It's something I ought to do. And pretty soon, muttering those words, prayer becomes not a living conversation with the living God, but a duty. It becomes a sense of obligation. That somehow, if you don't prayer, pray in the right way all the time, that somehow you're on God's bad list. comes out of guilt. And so your prayer life becomes a meaningless ritual that eventually turns into a rut. I remember growing up in a church where I could pray prayers quickly and didn't even know what I was saying. What was it? It was just a ritual. Go in the little box and you make up some sins and then the priest says, okay, well, here, go say this. Five Our Fathers, three Hail Marys. And you go out and you kneel down and you rip through those. Hey, I'm good to go. <laughs> and somehow that's a faulty, bad misconception. It just relegates prayer to this religious duty, this ritual of phrases that you've memorized Sometimes when we hear people pray, it, it almost, it doesn't even seem like a conversation. And we've all done this, so I'm not picking on anybody other than myself. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and you're praying and you come to a pause? You don't know what to say? So you just, rather than going, uh, you say, Father. Or you say God. Not even understanding what you're saying. It's just to fill that blank space in your mind because you don't know what to say next. Can you imagine if someone came up to you and talked to you that way? Hi, Ambika, how was your day? Ambika, what are you going to do after church? Ambika, are you going to have lunch? Ambika, if I just kept on saying your name over and over in the conversation, you would go, what is wrong with you? And yet sometimes we treat God that way. We go into the presence of God and, and God, we just ask you today, God, that you would, God, bless this day, God. And, and we just keep saying it over and over. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm being critical myself because I do the same thing sometimes. But my point is this, is that's when prayer simply becomes a ritual. It's a good Catholic family. We used to pray before our meals. Bless the Lord for these, I guess, who are true about to receive from my body Christ, Lord, amen. Eat. And usually somebody already had food on their plate by the amen, because they were peeking. And it became a ritual. It's just something you did. And it was totally meaningless. But you knew you had to do it. <laughs> See, when you think of prayer, what is one word that pops into your head? When you ask certain people, even Christians, sometimes 
if they're honest with you. It's the word. Boring. Why do I have to pray? It becomes something that we endure rather than something that we enjoy. And trust me, I'm preaching this message to myself. God has beat me up this week with this message. See, if prayer is a duty for us, then really we've missed the point of prayer. We've missed the point of prayer. We don't understand prayer in the slightest if you think it's a duty. I mean, think about it. It's no wonder we can't get motivated if we're going to go around thinking, you know what, I should pray, I must pray, I have to pray. Pray is something I have to do. Prayer is something I have to do. So today I want to talk about four purposes of prayer. And John 15 is actually there right alongside of 13, 14, 15, and 16. So we're going to spend a little time in each. But these are are the Lord's last words, basically, to his disciples. It's the last discussion that Jesus Christ shared with his 12 disciples before he was crucified. Now, remember, Jesus kept telling his disciples and people in general, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be resurrected, and then I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm not going to be here anymore physically with you. I'm going to be gone. But you know what? I'm going to put my spirit in your lives, the Holy Spirit. You wait here, and he'll, he'll fill you up. So you can still talk to me, even though I'm not here physically, you can talk to me through prayer. And so he gives them four reasons for prayer. The first one is this, prayer is an act of dedication. Prayer is an act of dedication for a believer. It's an act of dedication in two ways. First of all, our devotion to God, and secondly, our dependence upon God. I mean, think about it. Prayer is a way of going to God and and, and devoting your time to him, saying, God, I need you. I need your help. I need your assistance. See, that's one of the biggest problems we have in our country even today is we don't feel a dependence upon God. We think we can work it out ourselves. And I mean, ever since the beginning, Adam and Eve, we basically vastly overestimated our abilities. And it gets us in trouble. So we go on thinking, I don't need to pray because I'm just going to go ahead and do this. I can handle this. It's only when we're faced with something maybe we think we can't handle that we go to prayer. The biggest problem, the biggest hurdle for us in prayer is admitting that we need God's help. Just admitting it. The reason a lot of people don't pray is because it costs them. It costs them honesty. You have to be honest with God. You have to say to God, you know what, I admit it. I I am inadequate. I am helpless. Without you, God, I'm lost. I need your help in this situation. See, as long as we think we're self-sufficient, Prayer really doesn't have any meaning for us. It doesn't have a place in our lives. If you think you've got it all together, 
why would you pray about things? So prayer is an act of dedication. God, I admit that I have a need. That's first and foremost. I need your help in my life. It's a declaration, you might say, of dependence upon God. It's our way of saying, this proves I'm depending on you, God. I'm praying. That's why Paul instructs us, as we found out last week, to pray all times, right? Not just sometimes. Because how often do we need God? All the time. In John 15, verse 5, look at what he says here. He's given this illustration of a vine and branches. And he says, If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do most things. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. (laughs) It says you can do what? Nothing. No thing. Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, if you be dependent upon me, express your trust in me, and my words remain in you, you can ask, look at this, whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Wow. Sounds like a blank check. If you really put your dependence in me, the Lord says, you can ask whatever you will, and you know what? I will give it to you. You think of a branch, and you think of the vine, and how they're connected. If you cut that branch off of the vine, what happens? It dies. I remember seeing a documentary on TV about a this lost ship, and there was supposed to be all this gold in it. And it was about, they didn't know if it was 800, 1,000 feet underneath the water. And so they had to actually put one of those uh, uh, diving um, bells or whatever you call them, where it's kind of a giant cylinder, metal cylinder, and they put two or three guys in there, and, and they lowered it down to about 800 feet, and they, they found what they were looking for. But in the documentary, I remember the guy on the, the ship was saying, yeah, the only thing that is keeping these guys alive down there is this oxygen tube, <laughs> this tube that's delivering air to them. If somehow this, this tube becomes severed or they lose oxygen, they will die because we won't be able to pull them up fast enough. See, that's what prayer is for the believer. It's kind of like a support system. If you cut it off, you run out of spiritual air. Prayer is an act of dedication. It shows our dependence upon God. It shows our devotion to God. I remember Bill Bright had a a little track out years ago. And uh, he called it a little booklet or track. He called it Spiritual Breathing. And he talked about how, as Christians, we need to be constantly in prayer, just like we're breathing. You know, we we exhale and and, and we get rid of all those sins. We confess our sins, but then we're filled with the Spirit. We ask the Spirit to to take charge once again of our lives. And he called it spiritual breathing. And and that's really what needs to be going on in our lives 24-7. Because prayer is our support system. And until we realize that we need God 24-7, we're not going to pray. We're just not going to pray. So it's not just a dedication, but secondly, prayer is an act of communication. Communication. 
A lot of the problems in our own lives, beloved, you know what they're a result of? They're a result of lack of communication. If somehow we could just figure that out, men, with our wives, and just learn to communicate to them in a way that they need to be communicated to, a lot of the issues in our relationships would just go bye-bye. I mean, stop and think about it. I mean, how many times have you miscommunicated with your wife or not communicated with your wife? And it caused a problem. But if you simply would have communicated, and wives, it goes the other way too. I'm not just picking on the guys. It's a two-way street. But poor communication, whether it's with your wife, your husband, or your people at your business, your neighbors... Poor communication is always an issue. It's always a problem. Most of our problems in life come from poor communication. I mean, the one thing I learned, and I still work on it, is that in marriage, you can't understand the person you're married to unless you communicate with them. And for somebody that doesn't communicate a lot, (laughs) that's not good for a marriage. So you need to learn to communicate. Most of you remember, you're probably old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. Remember that? Standoff between President Kennedy and Khrushchev over Russia putting these uh, missiles that could reach the United States down in Cuba. It's almost a, a war over this thing. Well, why was that? Because there was no communication. There wasn't proper communication. And out of that whole fiasco came one positive thing. One benefit of the Cuban Missile Crisis was the fact that each country agreed afterwards to establish a communication hotline between the two countries. And you've probably all seen the picture of, you know, the president's desk with a red phone there. You don't think they have that anymore, but they used to. And if that phone rang, he knew that it was a world leader and needed to talk to him right away. There was no mediator in between those. It was a direct line. Why did they do that? So there wouldn't be any further misunderstanding. So at any time, if somebody thought somebody was doing something wrong or whatever, they could simply pick up the phone and talk to the person in charge. And that's very crucial when it comes to the international scene in our society. But think about it. It's even more crucial in the Christian life. See, prayer is an act of dedication, but it's also an act of communication. You can't communicate with somebody unless you know you're in a relationship with them. What is our relationship to God? Look at John 15. John 15, look at verse 15 and 16. He says, no longer do I call you servants, this is the Lord, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But, he says, I have called you what? Friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You just think he did that through osmosis? 
No, he communicated to them. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And then look at how he ends in verse 16. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He says the reason you can ask anything in prayer is because, you know what, we're friends. We have a different relationship than we had before you followed me. God says, I don't treat you like servants, like slaves. I treat you like friends. Sometimes we have a hard time praying, I believe, is because we fail to recognize what a privilege it is to speak to our Creator. We forget that. I mean, think of your greatest celebrity, whoever it may be. Could be a movie star, it could be a head of state, could be the president, whoever. And think if I said, you know what, tomorrow morning at 6.30, they're going to be here and they're going to meet you. And you can have a half hour with them. Probably get a little excited. This is somebody you probably always wanted to meet. You'll have 30 minutes to discuss whatever you want with them. You probably wouldn't sleep very well tonight because you'd probably be nervous about tomorrow morning's meeting, thinking this is somebody you look up to. You've always looked forward to meeting this person. Finally, the day has come. I don't think you'd walk in here in your pajamas. I think you'd probably find some presentable clothes to wear. I think you'd probably comb your hair, probably brush your teeth. You'd probably even do a little homework the night before and write out the questions you want to ask so you don't get all tongue-tied. You know, I've always wanted to meet you, you know, and not be able to talk. See, we have a greater invitation than that, brothers and sisters. We have an invitation with our Creator God whenever we want it. He's there for us. We don't have to talk to some bureaucrat on the lower level. Don't you hate that when you call? It could be a company. It could be called the government. You call and and you're trying to get something done. A couple weeks ago, we were trying to get rid of this background check people that we had. And oh, I mean, my wife had worked on this for a month and a half, two months. And she kept on telling me, they don't answer the phone. I said, well, they leave a message. Just get them on the phone. You don't understand how this company. Finally, they said they'd call her back. I thought, good. Stayed here all day waiting for the call. Guess what? Never came. The next day, maybe they got the day's mess, nothing. By the third day, she's giving up. <laughs> I'm really irritated because I knew how much time was invested just canceling this this billing. We were all paid up and everything. I said, that's it. I'm going to do this. I came down. Give me the number. I called this company up. Somebody answered. I thought, see, this, this is simple. 
You know, man, you got to do something. Once I'm done, do it yourself, you know. That's what I'm feeling inside at this point. I'll just be honest. I was pretty proud of myself. I'm talking to an actual human being that my wife only talked to a couple times. Real sweet lady. I said, okay, here's the situation, you know. We've been with your company six months, and we didn't realize that there was a, a minimum monthly fee. We just want to pay per background. We don't, we're not a big church. We don't, we don't do 50 backgrounds a month. We just do maybe, you know, five a year. So we don't want to have to pay the monthly fee. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um, we can probably take care of that. Uh, could you hold a second? I said, sure. Puts me on hold. I look at the clock. It's about 8.15. I'm thinking, all right. So I'm holding it up to my ear. This music starts playing. I'm kind of a musician, you know, but this This music was different. It was just very, very irritating to myself. Big time. I mean, it was just piano music or something, but it was just, it was, I don't know if it was the key it was in. It was just very irritating. It did not put me at ease. And after about five, ten minutes, you know, I can feel my blood pressure going up. I'm looking at the clock thinking, okay, this is what she was talking about. I'm in the pit of the hold, you know. She's got me on hold. About 20 minutes later, oh, sir, are you still there? I said, yeah, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Just to let you know, okay, okay, uh, I'm trying to get a hold of somebody. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to put you back on hold. I did this for an hour and 45 minutes in about 20 to 30 minute segments. Your pastor was so angry at these poor people on the other end of the phone. I mean, uh, it's a wonder I didn't lose it. Finally, she comes back on and she goes, um, you know, I, I really, I apologize. I know you've been on hold for quite a while. I said, yeah, an hour and 45 minutes. I want to talk to somebody. Who am I? Who are you going to hook me? I know it's not your fault. You're just probably a little secretary there. But I, I need to talk to somebody, and I need to talk to somebody now. So put them on the phone right now. But, but sir, there's no, I don't care if there's nobody. Put somebody on the phone. And she's like, oh, can, can you, uh, hold on. <laughs> Another 20 minutes. I'm getting angrier. She finally comes back on. And I said, look, I don't understand what you're, miss, what you're not understanding here. You know, it's been almost two hours. I'm on the hold listening to this stupid music that you have playing. And you know what? I'm done. I just want to cancel the account. We're not going to send you any more money. Do you understand? Oh, yeah, but, I, I, you know, we don't have any. I go, where are you? I'm looking at your website. It says your office is in Georgia. You're in a building, aren't you? And I, mean, I just let her have it, poor gal. I said, just... Grab anybody in the office. I want to talk to somebody. Do you have a manager? Oh, yeah. Let me talk to your manager. Another half hour. Some guy from India comes on. He was. He was from India. Actually, I even told him. I said, hey, we're going over to India. You know, I thought I'd butter him up a little bit. I said, hey, we're going over to India. We're coming over your way, you know. And still, it was like, I mean, almost three hours on the phone with these people. Why? Because I couldn't talk to the right person. And when I finally got done with the whole thing, and I'm studying this week, I'm like, thank goodness, thank God, we don't have a God that hold, you know, hold, hold. We can access him at any time of the day, 24-7. We need to be reminded about that, that we're going to have a conversation with God himself. See, you don't have to know. 
You don't have to know key men if you know the man who holds the, the keys, <laughs> right? And we know the man who holds the keys. God says, I'm the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and you're my friends. And you know what? I want to talk with you. I can't wait to talk with you. That's what prayer is. It's a dedication, but it's also communication. And see, part of the problem is, I think we fail to understand that this God who created us and everything around us, we have a hard time believing that he's really interested in us. I mean, we can't conceive of a God who's interested in something like car payments or house payments or new clothes for the kids before they go to school or the guy at work that keeps pestering us or the back problem in our body that doesn't stop or anything else. See, when you fully discover how much God really loves you, trust me, prayer will no longer be a problem for you. It's not... The problem of, oh, I have to pray. You don't look at it that way anymore. And I think most of us don't realize how much God really does care about us. How much he really does love us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love to talk to people who love me the most. I I don't like confrontation. I don't like to talk to somebody who hates me. I mean, maybe there's some people out there, oh, I can't wait, you know. I'm not that way. And see, if you find prayer a duty, a ritual, a routine that you're not looking forward to going through, it means maybe you don't understand how much God is in love with you and how much he's interested in everything that is of interest to you. I mean, I totally understand the idea if you have to go to talk to God and talk to him about things of no interest... I mean, who's going to want to do that? Hey, God, I want to talk to you about something. I know you're not interested. I'm not really interested in it either, but let's just talk. You're not going to do that. But God says, you're, you're, you're my friend. I care about you. I'm concerned about you. It's an act of dedication. It's a way of expressing our dependence upon God. And prayer is an act of communication. It's the way that we communicate with God himself. Well, thirdly, prayer is an act of supplication. And if in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul makes it very clear. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, with prayer and what? Supplication, make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, you're not even going to understand how this is working, folks. But you know what? It's going to keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The result of your asking, your requests in prayer, what, what Paul says, the result of that is, you know what, you're going to have some sort of peace in your mind. And in John chapter 16, verse 24, it points out to us that prayer is an act of supplication. It's a way that we make our request known unto God. In verse 23 of John 16... It says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24. Until now, you have what? Asked nothing in my name. And he says what? Ask 
and you will receive. Why? So that your joy may be full. He says, you know what? You're going to be filled with joy. You're going to be happy because you're going to ask. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to answer. (laughs) That's a promise from God. The fact of the matter is prayer is God's chosen method, really, of meeting our needs in so many ways. The Bible teaches that there are some things that God has promised to do only if we pray. Some people think, well, you know, they get into their theological chair and they think, well, God knows what I need anyway, so why do I have to ask? He'll just give it whenever I need it. That's not necessarily true. God has set up in his sovereign plan that there are some things that he will do if we ask, if we pray. I mean, look at the New Testament Christians. I mean, they were unbelievable. They were joyous, they were contagious, they were happy, they were enthusiastic. Why? Because they had the power of prayer in their lives. They saw God answering their prayers miraculously on a regular basis. I mean, the typical New Testament Christian, if you ask them, well, how's it going today? They say, oh, business as usual, one miracle after another. That was just normal. And you say, well, how come we don't have that kind of power? Why don't we have that same kind of power in prayer that they had in the New Testament? I think James 4.2 says it oh too well. He says, you have not because you what? Ask not. Over 20 times in the New Testament, the Bible says to ask. Ask, seek, knock, keep on asking. I'm reminded of an older illustration that I, I uh, read one time. And this guy goes up to heaven. And he gets up there and he's looking around. And he sees all these big warehouses. And he's looking all over the place. And there's just mile after mile of these warehouses. He's like, well, wonder what's in these things. So he walks in the warehouse. And there's all these incredible blessings. Gifts. Spiritual situations, fantastic things, tremendous gifts, jobs, homes, families, all kinds of packaged up neat little gifts. And he asked the Lord, he said, what is this? All these warehouses with all these packaged gifts here. And the Lord looks at him and says, well, there's a tag on each one of the gifts. Go ahead and read the tag. It says the same on all the gifts. So he bent down, he looked at one of the, ca- the gifts, and he pulled the, ki- the tag around, he read it, and he says... Never asked for. (laughs) See, God doesn't, I know that's kind of a silly illustration. But you know what? C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said, God never shuts his storehouses until you shut your mouth. I think that's good. See, we need to start asking God. We need to prayer, understand that prayer is an act of supplication. I mean, what are you lacking right now in your life? Maybe it's simply because you never asked God for it. Maybe you haven't believed God for it. Well, what do you ask God for? What is God's will? How many people here want to know what God's will is? Hopefully everybody, right? What do we ask God for when we go to him in prayer? Well, I heard John MacArthur share this one time. He said, you know what? God's will for you is basically, it's very simple. First of all, it's to be saved. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What is God's will for your life? First of all, it's to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So he wants you to be saved. Well, after you're saved, what's he want? He wants you to be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Be filled. Be under control. That's what that word means. Be continuously under control of the Spirit. Well, not just saved and spirit-filled, but also sanctified. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. God wants you to live a sanctified life. He wants you to set yourself apart from the world. As hard as that is in the day and age we live in, that's what God expects. Fourthly, God wants us to be submissive. James 4.7 very simply says, submit therefore to God. We don't like that word submissive, but it's right there and it's biblical. So saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive. He also, listen to this one, hold on. He wants you to suffer. It's God's will for you to suffer. We don't hear that a lot today. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When's the last time you realized that? Part of God's will for you is to suffer. And the last thing is to, to say thanks, to be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, First Thessalonians 5.18 says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you take those six things. Well, what about other things? You know what? If you do those six things, then you go and do whatever you want. <laughs> That's pretty much it. If you're spirit-filled, if you're saved, if you're sanctified, if you're submissive, if you're learning to suffer and you're thankful, you can do whatever you want. And you know what's going to happen? God is going to give you the desires of your heart. Amen. God's not interested in you asking for something you don't want. Do you understand that? The Bible over and over again, Psalm 145 verse 19, it says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him who also hears their cry and saves them. He fulfills the what? The desires. Not just the needs, the desires. Because if you're fearing God, your desires are going to be right. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in God, you're trying to do the best that you can to let God's Spirit live through you. Your desires are not going to be wrong. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. See, God is not up in heaven holding on to all these things in his warehouses and just kind of you got to convince me to give this stuff to you. No. God doesn't have white knuckle syndrome. You know, he's not holding on to everything he has with white knuckles. He's saying, please just ask. 
I want to bless you. I want to bless your family. But you got to ask. Remember when I was a youth pastor, we were up at Hume Lake and certain students, not in our, not in our group, but in, a, in a, uh, another group from another church, they were giving their testimonies of how God used the camp the year before. And one of these uh, young boys, I think he was probably in maybe 10th or 11th grade, he got up and he shared his testimony, how he came to Christ last year <clears throat> at Hume Lake and he got saved and he said he went back to his church <clears throat> and they started teaching him all this theology, which was good. He said he learned that God was all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He had all these big words, you know. And, um, he, and he said that, you know, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He goes, and then I real, realized that God is omniscient. He knows everything. Well, this young Christian man, you know, the fall came, and he got back into school, and he's pondering this one day as he's studying, and he had an um, algebra test coming up. And he started thinking, you know, God, if you know everything about everything, God, I bet you even know what questions the algebra teacher is going to put on the final exam. Sounds like pretty simple faith, right? He says, you know, God, if you know everything from the beginning to the end, then you know what, even before he writes the exam, you already know it. So God, give me wisdom as I study. These different formulas, give me wisdom on what to study so that I'm studying the right stuff because I don't, I don't want to flunk this exam, but, you know, I, I, it's a tough subject for me. And God, I'm just trusting you, you know. And the, the exam grew closer and closer. And the night before, he's still studying and the exam's the next day. And he prayed, Lord, the Bible says that you'll give us the desires of our heart. So God, I'm going to ask you, and this is probably crazy, God, but I... Help me get an 87 on that exam tomorrow. I don't know why he didn't ask for 100. Maybe he didn't have faith. I don't know. But he asked for an 87. And he went on with his testimony. He said he went in. And boy, you know, he's taking this test. He's describing the whole thing. And he said, you know, the answers are coming pretty freely. You know, what is God's answer in this prayer? And uh, felt pretty good when he left that Thursday Came back on Friday, feeling pretty good, and uh, got his test back, and he got an 86. And for a young Christian, he said it, it was very discouraging. He looked at the paper. He couldn't even believe it. An 86. God, that's not what I asked you for. God, I asked you for an 87. Is this a sham? Is this for real? What's going on here, God. And the whole weekend, man, he's having this dialogue with God. You know, I don't understand it. You know, I mean, you, you gave me the everything, but I got an 86, but I asked you for an 87. He's kind of having his own crisis of faith. Went to church on Sunday and whatever, just kind of, just kind of forgot about the whole thing. He gets back on Monday. And he said... The teacher, the first thing she did after we did the pledge and all that stuff, she got out in front of the class and she named five students and she said, I need your tests back because I made a mistake. And you know what? She corrected the mistake and you know what he got? He got an age of seven. <laughs> and he said, you know what? It was like God put me through this ringer all weekend. 
But you know what? He proved himself faithful. And that may sound kind of silly, but you know what? God's concerned about things like that. God's concerned when we ask him for things. And he says, you know what? I'm going to answer your prayers that your joy, what? Will be made complete. It will be made full. But if we're never praying, we never give God the opportunity to answer our requests. I mean, you know, as a father and a grandfather, and some of you know this as, as well, you know, you love to give your kids things. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a blessing. Sometimes even when they don't need stuff, you buy them stuff. It's just kind of watch their face. Oh, this is cool. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing to, to be able to grant someone a gift. Well, in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish to eat, would give him a steak? Or if he asks for an egg or whatever, would give him a scorpion? And Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, God is interested in giving us the desires of our hearts. He delights in answering our requests. So prayer is an act of dedication quickly. Communication, supplication. The last thing is prayer is an act of cooperation. Cooperation. We understand God is sovereign. But you know what? God has sovereignly chosen in his plan that we can cooperate in his plan by, with him by praying. We can see his word done on earth. God, prayer is God's program. It's his MO. It's the way he operates. Prayer is God saying, I've chosen to limit myself to what I accomplish on earth simply by limiting myself to the faith of my children on earth. What they believe me for, I'll do. I mean, think about it. When you're praying for other people, what are you doing? You're cooperating with God. You're teaming up with God to accomplish God's work in their life. Look back one chapter, John 14. And it's probably one of, one of the more amazing verses in the Gospels. But in John 14, in, in verse 11, Jesus starts out here and he says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And if you don't believe that, just look at the works I'm doing. At least believe those, those miracles, which they did. And then verse 12 says, Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also, look at this, do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. You think of the works that Jesus did and we're doing greater works? See, he's not so much focusing on the, the miraculous. He's not saying, oh, you're going to do, do more miracles than I am. As far as the sign and wonders and all those things, clearly that's not the case. What's he talking about the greater works? When the original, it just says basically, if you believe in me and also in the works that I do, You'll do greater things or works isn't even there. And he says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified 
in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will what? Do it. I mean, have you been raising the dead lately, healing the sick? He says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What are the greater things that Jesus is talking about? I mean, I think that it's important for us to understand that. He says, whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may, uh, may bring glory to his Son, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. How are we going to do greater things than what Jesus did while he was here on earth? Simple, it's through prayer. It's through prayer. Because prayer is what? Prayer is limitless. Think about it. I mean, when Christ was here on earth, I mean, he was God, but he was in a bod, so he couldn't be everywhere at once. So even when Christ went to this village over here and he healed everybody there, that meant there was a village over there where nobody got healed. Because he chose to physically go here. Do you ever think about the limitless nature of our prayers? Prayer is not limited by time or space. You know, you can be praying today and your prayers could have an effect five years from now. Prayer isn't limited by space. This morning, when I woke up, I was going through the prayer journal, did the prayers, and then I I prayed for those officers' families down in Palm Springs that lost their lives over the weekend. They don't know me. I don't know them. I'm not even in their neighborhood. Prayed for the people back east, dealing with the flood waters. All those things are, are not limited because of space or time. It's very empowering. When you stop and think about it, people may reject your appeals. People may reject your arguments. People may even reject you as a Christian. <laughs> but you know what? They're totally defenseless against your prayers. They can't do anything. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Do you ever think of that? Like a river, God can change the course of history, even through the prayers of his people. Over the years of ministry, I've done a lot of counseling with people, with couples, with individuals. And a lot of times they're, they're at the end of the rope. They're, they're, they're in an impossible situation. And usually they'll say something like this, you know, I'm so discouraged, I'm so at the bottom of the, I just don't know what to do. I guess the only thing I can do is pray. And I want to say, wow, don't say it like that. <laughs> the one thing that you can do is pray. At least you've got a resource that most of the world doesn't have. If you can pray, you can make the impossible possible. All of a sudden, you're not 
trying to work it out on your own anymore. You've got the power of God behind you. Six times in this passage, Jesus says, if you will ask, I will answer. If you will ask, I will do. He says, your part is the asking. My part is the doing. That's because he's in a a lot better position than we are. He says, if you pray, I will do. I think we get our focus on the wrong things sometimes. You know, I think today we live in a, a, a Christianity that's filled with celebrities. I mean, you stop and you think, who are going to be the heroes in heaven? Who are going to be the heroes in heaven? Do you think it's going to be the Billy Graham or the Charles Spurgeons? I don't think so. I really don't. I think the heroes in heaven are going to be those little unknown people who spent time on their knees praying for those individuals who were in the limelight. Because there are no little peoples in God's eyes. Prayer is the most important thing you can do. D.L. Moody said this, Every great movement of God can be traced to a single praying, kneeling figure. So do we want to believe God that he can change us as individuals, that he can change our church, that he can change our city, our state, our country? I mean, beloved, I don't, I don't know why. We need a miracle to turn things around. God acts according to prayer. And I pray that as a church, we will be a praying church. That we will fall on our knees quicker than we will run to some activity. That we'll take the time to ask God to meet those needs. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I want to ask just us as we gather here, what are you lacking right now in your life? Maybe maybe you're lacking those things because you never asked God for it. You know what? He says, please ask me. Please ask me. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to do it in accord with his will. This isn't a name it and claim it situation that we believe in. But go to God and ask him, Lord, teach me how to pray. Help prayer to be a bigger part of my life. Not just a ritual that I go through every day or before I eat or before I go to sleep. Because, Father, we're excited about what you're going to do in and through us. Lord, this world is quickly fading. It's just falling apart. Wheels are coming off the, the truck quickly. And, Lord, we just pray that you would remind us That it's not through the political system that we look for you to work miraculously. It's through prayer. We pray that you would change people's hearts one at a time. Father, you can do that with the most vile people. Because you did. Did it. Through the Apostle Paul. This is an individual who used to kill Christians. Thinking he was doing the right thing. And yet you changed his heart. You confronted him with the truth of the gospel. Lord, help us to have that kind of faith. Don't help, help us to, to never give up 
on you working a miracle, changing a life, transforming somebody, bringing somebody from darkness into light. Help us to be part of that through prayer. If there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would make it very clear to them that they're a sinner, that we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's only one way out of this mess in which we find ourselves. It's through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He says, you know what, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling downtrodden, if you're feeling just overrun with issues, come to me. I'll take your burden. I'll take it off your shoulders for you. For the first time, you'll sense a forgiveness that you've never sensed before because you've turned those sins, those burdens you're carrying over to a God who loves and cares for you very much. Cry out to him even now and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me your truth. Teach me how to communicate with you, how to pray. I pray that that would be a prayer that God would answer for you today. That you would be forgiven of your sins and you would come to know that God is not your enemy. He desires to be your friend. But he can only be your friend if you come through the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for your sins. Father, I pray that you would just bless our day today. Help us to focus on things that are honoring to you. I pray that you would bless our time of fellowship over the fellowship hall afterwards. Bless the food. And just give us a, a wonderful day. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.